are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Uh, we're concluding our service today, uh, the series today of The Elephant in the Room, and um, Again, the elephant in the room is an English metaphorical idiom for an obvious truth that is either being ignored or going unaddressed. And we've had some pretty good uh, topics. We've talked about the, the price of integrity. We've talked about erotica in the church. And uh, this morning is no different. This morning is, is another one of those topics that there used to be really, really popular in the church but now you never ever hear of it because of different people's opinions and not wanting to, to cause people to run, but being able to cause people to come close. And today we're going to talk about the truth about hell. And again, it's a topic that we don't like to talk about. You know, I can't see anyone coming up and saying this is my favorite topic because it's not a pretty picture. And, and there's been all kinds, and I'm going to get in that, there's been all kinds of different thoughts and understandings about what hell is. You know, we hear bands who write songs about it. You know, it's a party, man. You know, come on, I'm on, my hi- I'm on the highway to hell. This is going to be awesome. And I'm going to die and then go to hell. We see Hollywood glorify it. You know, it, it's amazing to me right now in our time, the, the, the swing and the push in zombies and vampires, the undead, and how that is just being glorified and, and, and eaten up and like, man, this is, this is where it's at. This is, the, this is the in thing now. We even have predominant pastors who've made, who've made stances that are says, you know what, there is no hell because how can an all-loving God who is just so gentle and so kind send people to, to a place that is is an eternity without God. That, that couldn't be in God's character. So today we want to really look at it and say, God, what does your word say about hell? Is there a place called hell? Is it truth? Or Lord, is it just another folk- folklore? Another myth? Something that we don't have to even consider or worry about? Let's pray. Father, Again, every single week we've prayed, Lord Jesus, that you would open up our hearts. Because, Lord, as different ideas and different truths float around, sometimes we hear them and we accept them as gospel. But, Lord, they're not gospel. So, Father God, would you help today to be able to mold us and shape us, reestablishing that plumb line in our heart, Father God, to bring us back to that place where the Bible is our authority, God, and you are our everything. And if you agree with that prayer, everybody would say, Amen. There are three basic primary stances on hell. Number one is universalism. Basically, that is all roads lead to heaven. Live, do whatever you want, because God is an all-loving God and will gladly accept you with whatever path that you choose. Number two is annihilationism. And this is basically that there's nothing after death. You know what, we're here for a short period of time. Enjoy it while we're here, because once we die, we die. We don't have a soul, and it's game over, and it's, and it's over for us after that. 
And the third one is conditional immortality. That we are spiritual beings. And through that decision that we make here on earth to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior will dictate the eternity with Jesus in heaven by living a life with Him as our Lord and Savior or rejecting Christ and spending an eternity separated from the Savior in hell. Remember, I've said this pretty much every single service, that our opinions are not what make reality reality. You see, I can get up here and I can really believe with all my heart that there's no such thing as gravity. And as, as Pastor Eastman has just come back from holidays, it's great to see him. We just missed him so much. And man, uh, this, must, this last cruise must have done something to you. You lost a tie this week. So praise the Lord, I think he found Jesus, you know? But if I get up there and, 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 and Hayward and I go for a, a trip to Banff and we climb up on one of those mountains and I said to him, I said, Hayward, you know what? I'm really believing that there's no such thing as gravity here in this special spot. And if you jump off this mountain, you are going to just fly and come right back to this very place. I could blog about it. I could have people follow me on Twitter and Facebook and say, yes, that's a fantastic doctrine. That's a fantastic statement. We're with you. But truthfully, if Hayward was to take a step off that mountain and to test out that law or that opinion that I have, and he was to fall to his death, he would be a fool. As believers, we too have a law. A law that we must know, a law that we must read to study, and that is the Word of God, the only book to have withstood the test of time. That book needs to be our plumb line. That book needs to be our authority on all of these elephant issues. So then one does the Word. What does the Word have to say about hell? See, today I've only got time just to sort of briefly talk about it, but at the back table, I've, I've, I, I, as I was studying, I came up with something that I found on uh, Bible.org. And it's a really good, it's a 15-page document on hell that I really found, I've included some of that in my sermon today, and I really found it uh, informative, and if you want to afterwards be able to to go a little bit deeper on that, I'd, I'd, I'd offer that to you to be able to take home and read at your leisure. But the Bible talks about hell 52 times between Deuteronomy and Revelations. In fact, this Bible speaks about hell more than it does heaven. No one really wants to talk about hell. For the person who finds some kind of satisfaction in exploring its horrors must have some kind of a problem. Many people do not wish to believe that some will suffer eternal torment. One survey over the last 10 years indicates that 58% of Methodists, 60% of Episcopalians, 54% of Presbyterians, 35% of American Baptists, 22% of Lutherans deny that it is a specific place that you go after death. It is not difficult to understand why some people choose to believe that there is no such thing as eternal torment. Yet what does Jesus say about it? See, Jesus teaches us that the Holy Spirit would convince men of such judgment. In fact, we read that in John 16, 8. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. See, our eternal view of of punishment reflects our attitudes towards sin. If we possess a diminished view of sin, then we cannot fathom the severity of eternal judgment. But a biblical view of sin necessitates a judgment beyond the grave. Plus, a strong grasp of the horrors of hell also affects our motivation in evangelism and our desire to live a pure and holy life. You see, what our opinion is on sin... 
Like, does sin really amount to anything? Like, you know, really, if I tell that lie, like, so what? But you see, we understand that, that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. For the Bible shows us that sin pays wages. And the wages of sin is death. And we can believe whatever we want, but if we don't have that plumb line in our life where we understand that that magnificent work that Jesus Christ paid on the cross is truly amazing. It truly is for the atonement of all of our sins. Then we're missing out in understanding the importance and the severity of sinning. I've heard many people over my time as a pastor say, you know what, pastor? I know all about hell. I've lived it. You know, man, I've, I've come across some people who have had devastating lives. Who've had things happen in their lives that, man, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. People who have had difficult, difficult times. People who have had things happen to them that should never have happened. But yet, you know, as people sit in that place and say, I live on hell, and this is hell, earth is hell, I want to tell you this morning that earth is far from hell. Hell is much, much worse. And yet, the, the, in fact, the Word says in Matthew twenty-five thirty that it is a place of eternal darkness. It's funny to me how eternal darkness, how many people are afraid of darkness. You know what? And I'm not just talking about little kids who are afraid of darkness. I'm talking about adults who really don't like that. There, there's something about being alone. There's something about being in that place. I remember when I was a little kid, my, my mom and dad, they had to get up early, like at, I think at 3 o'clock in the morning, and they had to go do a truck driving trip over to Buffalo. And as they got up, they told me that it was going to happen, that I would just kind of wake up at, at 8 o'clock and make my way off to school. I was in grade school at the time. And I remember waking up at about 4 a.m. or something like that, and all of a sudden I realized that they weren't home. And that fear that settled upon me because mom and dad weren't here, my protectors weren't there. And it didn't go as planned where I should have woke up at 8 o'clock. And I remember, man, I remember it so clear. I, took a, I went in the kitchen, I grabbed a big butcher knife. And I, and I went against the wall, I put my back against the wall, and I sat beside the dishwasher knowing that nobody can get me from this side, and if they're going to come front on, then I'm ready for them. And it's a crazy, crazy thought, but we don't like being alone. We don't like darkness. But the Bible tells us in Matthew 25, 30, that it's a place of eternal darkness. Imagine being alone for every, forever, where you can't see the hand in front of your face. But unfortunately, it gets worse than that. Because in Matthew 8.12 and 13.42, we also read that it's a place of weeping and wailing. Darkness. All alone and to hear constantly screaming, wailing, gnashing of teeth. I think that would be constant torment. But it gets worse. Luke 16.23 then tells us that it's also a place of torment. And then in one verse later, in verse 24, we see that it's also a place of burning. See, this is hard for us to fathom. Because we wonder, how can a loving God create such a terrible place? We must remember that hell was not created for people. 
but it was created for Satan and the fallen angels. And number two, that the Lord takes, again, sin very seriously. It's not something that we can flippantly do. But we have to walk in that place where we say, God, I want to be who you've created me to be. In fact, it's so serious that he sent his son Jesus to die for the atonement of our sins. I came across this little video from um, uh, Francis Chan. And I just wanted to share a little snippet from you because I think the way that he lays it out is brilliant. Look, in Isaiah 55, God says, Your thoughts are not like my thoughts. And your ways are not as my ways. He goes, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's that's how much higher my ways are than your ways. And that's how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts. So when we begin an argument with, well, I wouldn't believe in a God who would, who would what? Do something that you wouldn't do? Or think in a way that's different from the way you think? Do you ever even consider the possibility that maybe the Creator's sense of justice is actually more developed than yours? And that maybe His love and His mercy are perfect and that you could be the one that is flawed? See, when we make statements like, well, God wouldn't do this, would He? Do you understand? At that moment, you're actually putting God's actions in submission to your reasoning. You're in essence saying, well, God wouldn't think that way or act that way because I wouldn't act that way or think that way. And yet, if when I read the scriptures, man, all through this book, I go, God, there are some things you say that I would never say. There are things you do that I wouldn't think to do. I, I mean, even from creation, I go, so Adam and Eve sinned, and, and so you're going to put a curse on the earth? I wouldn't think to do that. And then there's other passages that are even more difficult for me to stomach, like Exodus 32, where the people sin, and God tells his priests, here's what I want you to do. I want you each to grab a sword, strap it to your side, and then I want you to run back and forth, and I want you to just start killing people. Some of them will be your brothers, your friends, because of this sin. And I'm reading that, and 3,000 people dying, going, wow, did you just do that? Or to think about the story of Job, and go, Really, God? It it seemed like he was one of, if not the most faithful man on earth, and you're going to have his family die? You're going to have all of his possessions take away? You're going to have him? You're going to let him be struck with these sores all over his body and suffering? And then I get to the cross, and I go, Really, God? These people have acted so wickedly. And so your response is going to be, I'll have my son, my perfect son, my only son, my beloved son, humble himself and take the form of one of these human beings 
and I'm gonna let these other human beings torture him, spit on him, nail him to a cross, and then you're gonna have him pay for the crimes of everyone else? I go, I would never have thought to do that. And then, then, then you get to the end and, and, and Revelation 20, how the story ends, and I go, God, you're gonna do that to one of your created beings where he takes the devil. In, in Revelation 20, verse 10, it says the devil, this is God's creation, who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I read that, I go, really? Tormented day and night forever and ever? And then in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Look, there are a lot of things in this book that I go, wow, God, you did that, you thought that, I wouldn't think that, and I wouldn't have done that. But when I come to those passages, and when you come to those passages, does it even enter your mind that maybe he knows something that you don't? It's amazing. Is that brilliant? You find yourself saying things like, how can an everlasting God be so cruel? We need to look at a couple of short points. The first is that we must point out uh, that such a reflection, uh, reaction reflects a failure to see sin in its true light. When we say that the punishment doesn't fit the crime, and if we think that the punishment is just too harsh, we have re- uh, revealed that we do not take the crime seriously enough. The Canaanites, for example, were so wicked and immoral that their sexual practices could not be described. It was therefore necessary to destroy every living creature, even their animals. Let's look at this for a moment. You know, to try to think of a, of a way that we can really understand this. Let's say that we go to a doctor. And a doctor says to us, he does a check, he says, you know what, I have found that you have cancer in your foot. And in order to save your body, we must cut that foot off. We must amputate it. Because if we don't do that, then it's going to affect your body and it's going to bring forth death. When we look at that doctor and say, Doctor, you are so cruel, how could you do that? That is a cruel statement. Because who doesn't want their foot? But yet there's truth in that, that if that is not taken care of, that it will spread the infection in the rest of our body and take, out, take upon our life. The spiritual cancer of sin prevail, uh, prevalent in men must be dealt with severely because it is deadly. We must learn to see sin as God sees sin. And when we will not think, then we will not think hell is too, uh, too cruel. Secondly, we do not promote or understand God if we perceive Him as George Burns in the movie, Oh God. God is not a good old boy. He's not some kind of a heavenly softy who's so full of love that he cannot bring himself to deal with God's judgment. God is love. But he's also a God of justice and wrath when confronted with sin. If your God does not hate sin and deal with it, then your God is not the God of the Bible. See, here's some scriptures that you can write down this morning and look at 
on your own. Nahum 1, 2-8. Romans 1, 18, 2, 5, 5, 9, and 12, 19. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, 2, 16, 5, 9. And Revelation 6, 16 to the end. As I was studying and I was reading up on this a little bit, I found a quote that a pastor said that really kind of tweaked my interest a little bit. He says that when he does a funeral for somebody who, as they talk to the family, they don't know what the eternal destination is for the brother. They don't know whether he was saved or whether he wasn't saved. He says, I find that I work harder to be able to present that gospel message because to bring justice and honor to the person who's passed away. We can't make judgments. I don't know who's in heaven and who's not in hell. The Bible says that man sees from the outward, but God sees the heart. I can't see people's hearts. So I can never say, you know what, man, that person's in hell. Or man, that person's definitely in heaven because I don't know. But yet, if that person has gone to that place of eternal darkness, has gone to that place of separation from the Lord, then as they're, as they're in that place, to be able to meet with their loved ones and say there is hope. There is another opportunity for us. There is something that Christ has, that Christ paid the price to be able to bring us freedom. Jesus says in basically this same story in Luke sixteen nineteen. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in a purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. As his gate lay, a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip, the t- uh, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you want and Lazarus had nothing. So now here it is, uh, he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to from here and no one can cross over to it from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send to him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Abraham said, Moses and the prophets had warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich men replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent from the dead, they will repent of their sins and they will turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, then they won't listen even if someone has rise from the dead. We're not promised another minute here on earth. And one of our, once our time has ended, there is no hope, there is no chance to be able to make it right at that moment. Sydney reminded me of a, of a story in, in Calgary when we were, I was a youth pastor and I met with a couple of girls. And they were young adults and they came back from YWAM and they were hungry for missions and just a couple of really amazing kids who loved the Lord. And they sat down at our table and they said, you know what, we just decided that we don't want to follow God anymore. I said, what, what are you talking about? And they're like, we just want to experience the world. 
we want to do it for a short period of time, but we've, we grew up in that Christian home and we just want to see what everybody's talking about. It just sounds so wonderful. We want to try it, then we'll repent and we're going to get back to, to being in that place where God has called us to be. As we did that, we had an exchange student from Mexico living with us and she just came home and as she entered the house, she started to bawl uncontrollably. It's like, what's going on? She goes, there's evil in here. She says, I can feel it so strongly. I don't know what's wrong, but something is not right. To this day, those two girls have still not come back to that place of accepting Christ and saying, God, I want to walk with you. Friends, the world paints all kinds of pictures for us. I, I was talking to Mackenzie last night. She's my eight-year-old daughter. And we were watching some kind of a show, and, and the, the, the show, um, the, show uh, you know, the introduction song or whatever that is, was, was Kate Perry. And it, it's, uh, I, I don't know the name of the song, but it's, it, it says, we, 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 we kiss and we make up, we break up, and then we, whatever. I can't remember how it goes, but... Um, who's my Kate Perry fans? We kiss and we make up, we something and break up. But anyways, as she did that, she looked at me and she says, Dad, why would that verse be in that song, that they kiss and make up? What, like, what does that mean? I said, Mackenzie, remember how Daddy has told you that I want to be your protector if you will allow me to be your protector? Yes, Dad. What does that mean? She says, Dad, it means that if a boy wants to go on a date with me, they have to ask you first. I said, that's right. And I said, and you know what that does? I said, that protects you that if a boy that wants to go on a date with you, and you don't really like that boy, you don't want to hurt his feelings, that he has to come and see me, and I can say, let me think about it, and I'll come and talk to you first. And I'll say, Mackenzie, so-and-so has asked to go on a date with you, and you're like, Dad, no. Then I can, I can be the bad guy. And I can stand in that place and talk to that young man and say, you know what? Absolutely not. But if it's a guy that you really like, then you and I can talk about that and say, you know what? Who is this guy? Does this guy know who Jesus is? Does this guy want to walk in that place? I said, Mackenzie, you have the opportunity to be able to have the dad as your protector as long as you allow it. But you also have the opportunity to be able to leave that and say, you know what, I'm going to date behind your back and I'm going to do that. And if you choose to do that, that's your choice, honey. If you want me to step away from your protector, then all you need to do is tell me. And then, then you're walking in that place. But the truth of the matter is, is as grown men and women who've had, before we walked in that place of marriage, who've had maybe our hearts broken, who've had things happen to us that we wish we could change. If I could turn back time, then I would do it because I have wisdom now that I didn't have when I was a teenager. And that's like that whole thing with Christianity. We walk in that place and the world makes alcohol and sex and drugs and, and, and just live this party lifestyle. You know what? I'm on the highway to hell and this is going to be awesome. And make it look so appealing. But you talk to you talk to a drug addict, you talk to someone who's addicted to alcohol, you talk to somebody who's given their heart so many times that their life is so segmented and they can't trust anymore because their heart's been broken by so many people. And they will tell you that, you know what, if I had my time back, I would have never walked down that road because that road leads to pain. That road leads to death. That road leads to disaster. And Christ 
Almighty is saying, I want to save you from that. I want to I deliver you from a lifestyle of hurt, a lifestyle of pain. If you choose my ways, they're better. They will give you health. They will give you strength. They will give you longevity. But when we look at that and say, to hell with you. I got, want to live my own life and I have a free will to do whatever I want. We are stepping in that place of rebellion saying, no, Lord. And then we're walking on dangerous ground. And then we get to that place where things start happening because the Bible says you reap what you sow. And we start sowing pain into our life. And who gets blamed? God. God, if you were an all-loving God, why would you do this to me? Why would this happen? Why would that happen? Because we chose to walk away from His plan. God's ways are the higher God's ways are the best. Now, if you've walked in God's ways, are you going to have trouble? Yes! In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. And God says, I want to walk with you through this time. I want to sharpen you. What the enemy has meant for evil, I am going to use for good. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, Lord, I don't like this season. It's difficult, but God, I trust you. And then we stand out of that, and I don't know how many times I've looked back in those times that I've just hated, those times when I've wanted to give up, those times where I wanted to quit, and said, God, thank you for those times of my life. Because, Lord, if you did not do that in my life at that moment, I would not have been able to do whatever. Because, God, you prepared me. My friends, today's elephant is is, It's uncomfortable. Man, often when I speak, there's a lot of laughs and a lot of joy, but man, that's not happening today. In fact, there's not a lot of amens happening in this room either. But one day, I have to stand before God and say, Lord, I taught your word. And his word shows the reality of a place called hell. Perhaps you're here and it has caused you to get nervous because you're not sure what your eternal destination is. This morning, I just can't leave it with that. This morning, I have to leave you with a quick little snippet that there is hope. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Hell may be a reality, but God has made a way for you, for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors. For God's will is that none should perish, that we have relationship with God who is in grace, who is love, who shows us mercy. How? By paying the ultimate price and sending His perfect Son here to die and pay the price for my sins. See, I think maybe in churches too many times, and I've just been wrestling with this lately, that we set people up for failure. We set people up in that whole sense that, you know what, if you pray that magical prayer, God, come into my heart, we're good. Everything is cool. But yet, I wonder how many times we just say that prayer, but we just walk through life just doing what we want to do anything, anyways. See, when we say that prayer, we say, Lord, I want you into my life, what we're saying is, I don't want you part-time, God. But God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. God, I want to surrender everything to you, God. God, help me to look more and more like Jesus every single day. There are many roads to get to Jesus. 
Many people have had different stories in this room of how they came into that understanding who Jesus is. But the truth is there's only one road to God. And the only way to get to God is through Christ Jesus. Peter says in Acts 2, 38, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Team, would you come? You see, when we walk in that place and we understand what that is that Peter's talking about, see, Peter said we have to repent from our sins. Do you know what that word repentance means? See, that re- word repentance doesn't mean to say I'm sorry. Because I can say I'm sorry and be very flippant about it. Yeah, sorry about that. But when we repent, it means to stop going in the direction that we're going and literally to stop going that way and go the other direction. To say, you know what, I'm no longer Lord. Lord, I need to repent from my sins. I am no longer going to live for myself. But God, I'm going to go this way now, God. And Lord, I want to live for you. Will you stumble? Will you fall? Yes. But that's where his glorious grace kicks in. Where we say, God, I blew it. I made a wrong choice. I made a wrong decision. Lord Jesus, I fell. And he graciously picks us up. To be baptized. Man, I think that we look at baptism as just sort of something that we do. Let's just get people baptized and get on with it. We'll sort of keep a little tally of how many people we baptized. Baptism is important. Because what baptism does is it brings me before the people where I say I'm going to get baptized and I want to live for God and now I'm being held accountable by every single person who's watched me be baptized. There's an accountability in the, in the body of Christ which is awesome. You know what, guys? I covet your prayers. I appreciate each one of you in this room. And when it's amazing that when you go through those tough times, how I can go to any one of you guys and say, will you pray for me? Or you know what, this is what's going on right now and I'm really kind of struggling. Will you, will, you, will you walk with me? And man, I know I've had people call me and say, Pastor, would you walk with me? I'm struggling right now. Will you pray for me? That's the power of the body of Christ. That's the power of the church. We are the church. And then, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, that is life. To say, God, I want to know you so intimately, God, that I want to be infilled with thy very presence. God, I want you to be the engine in my life. I want you to be that motivating factor, God. Have you ever gone into some place and all of a sudden your spidey senses start tingling a little bit? You know what? I think the world doesn't know how to explain those spidey senses. But it's the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? Be cautious. There's something here. You know, how many times it's just kind of like, you know, just, just silly things happen. And, 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 I, and I just, maybe I'm driving. And, you know, sometimes you just drive and you just go the same way every day. We become creatures of habit. We just do the whole same thing. And all of a sudden you're just kind of like, I wonder what's down this road. 
and you drive down this road and all of a sudden nothing happens. You come back out on the main road and you're just like, well, I guess nothing. But all of a sudden, the Lord is just like, you know what? If you had gone the way that you always go, there would have been trouble. There would have been some kind of a disaster happen, and I spared you. And we have no idea that that ever took place. I think when we, when we stand before the Lord on that day, and we're going to see all the things that God did in our life, we're going to be blown away because we had no idea of how faithful And how marvelous His grace is for us. God is awesome. I remember one day, and I I felt bad because I said to the kids, I said, you know what, kids? Let's just get out of town. Let's just go and and let's just uh, uh, head down to Galaxy Land and just have some fun. So we we drove and we got got almost to, um, oh, I don't know, maybe just outside of a Smoky Lake type of deal. And the weather turned really, really bad. And it got to that place where you're kind of white-knuckling a little bit. And I'm like, oh, you know, I told the kids we would go here. And I want to do it, but I just, I don't know. There's just, it's just getting worse. And I just don't know if I should c- continue. But I just felt to just continue for a little bit longer. And as I continued a little bit longer, I came upon a guy that was in the ditch. And I said to the kids, I said, you know, guys, let me just pull over and help this kid. And he was a young, young man. Fr- found out he was from Cold Lake. And we were able to help him and, and minister to him and, and bring forth that whole sense of, of healing to him. And then after we were done, we turned to the kids and said, guys, I think the Lord just took us on a journey. We're going to take you out of school tomorrow and we're going to go back to, to, to uh, uh, Galaxy Land. But right now, I just really feel that we need to go home, that we can't go any farther. And we turned around and went back home. But I thought the kids would be like, oh, Dad, that's not fair. But the kids got to walk in that place where they said, you know what, Dad, it was pretty neat because even though we didn't go, we got to help that man. And I'm like, you guys are picking that up. That's pretty awesome. God's ways are better. God's ways are higher. I want to leave you with a story this morning. There's this little boy And he was on the beach and this man walks up and he sees this little boy in the distance and he sees that he's throwing something into the ocean. And the the man's curious about what this kid's doing so he walks up closer and he just sees this boy picking something up and tossing it in the ocean and running forward, picking something up and tossing it in the ocean. He's just like, man, what is this kid doing? So as he gets closer, he sees that this kid is bending down. He picks up a starfish and he just takes the starfish and he chucks it in the ocean. And as the man looked, he saw on the beach thousands of starfish that had been washed up by the tide. And he walks up to this little kid. He says, boy, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm taking these starfish and they can't breathe. They don't have oxygen here. And they're going to die unless I take them and I throw them back into the water. And the man laughed. He said, son, look at all the starfish. You're never going to be able to get to them all in time. It's impossible. And the little kid, a little bit uh, distraught now, thinks for a moment that he bends down, he grabs a starfish. He says, yeah, but mister, I saved this one. And he tossed it in the ocean. That great commission, it tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Why? 
Because, my friends, if we understand the reality of hell, the truth that there is a place that, you know what, maybe you've got an, an awful enemy who's been just miserable to you your whole life. But that eternal place is not for them. That eternal judgment is not for them. And it's up to us to be able to go in to tell our friends, tell our family, tell our neighbors, guys, you're this one starfish. And there may be thousands that I can't reach, but I can do something about this one. And I'm going to toss it back into the ocean. You know, quite often, I like to sort of wrestle with the Lord and say, God, how do you want me to close the service? And I just say, you know what, everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes. But I'm not going to do that today. Because I believe that there's a cost that comes with salvation. And the Bible tells us that if we deny the Lord before people, that He's going to deny us. And it's as simple as standing to our feet and saying, God, I want you. And Lord, I'm not. I'm going to repent and stop going and living from my own self. And Lord, I want to start living a life that is under the, the blessing and under the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ Almighty. And it's going to be tough. But you know what? There's something about making that stand and saying, God, I don't care who knows it. Lord, I need you in my life. And if that's you, I want to pray for you right now. So I just ask at this very moment that you just walk up the front and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm living for myself right now. I understand that there is a place called hell and I need to get right before the Lord. If that's you, come. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.